So that's that's good. Yeah. So um, the storm the storm is is still here. Um, just kind of a weather, weather forecast. A hundred percent chance of rain today. Um, hundred percent chance of rain tomorrow, and probably about eighty percent on on Tuesday. This is just me. I have no data to back any of that up. <laughs> so here's a picture of of where the hurricane is right now, or the tropical storm. Um, this is accurate, actually. Uh, I went ahead on the radar and, and made this picture. So that's exactly... We, we are the black spot, the little black spot right there. So that's where it is. Um, it's, it's interesting to me, the reactions to this whole Florence storm thing. You have, you have people that, that have fun with it, and then you have people that think the world's going to end and we're all going to die. And then you have people that... You know, well, I'm just not going to get into all that, okay? However, there, there's a couple of places, like one picture in particular, that I just wanted to show you because it really tickled me. It's probably my number one favorite picture of the whole, whole deal, and this is it. We all laughed, but Tyrone knew all along. <laughs> yeah, now, that, that is funny. That, that, is, that is so funny. So, um, so, yeah, so Hurricane Florence, Florence was here. Um, what is the next picture? Kind of forgot. Yeah, this is also, like in my serious picture, this is my favorite. They had just rescued some people from that home, and then they knelt down to pray. That, that's my favorite um, on the serious side of things. So that, that's, that's, really, that's really cool. And then, and then this one. This is uh, what it looks like right now. And then this one. This is actually uh, Trey and... Um, Candace Easter's home. So this was uh, soon after it had passed, sort of, I guess passed, I'm not sure, the time frame. It did tear up their, you know, their, their fence in the backyard and subsiding off the side. Their neighbor said some of their shingles are off their house, but all in all, it, w- it was pretty good for their home um, coming through. So they are currently in Davie County, and they, don't, they do not know when they can go back. In fact, his, his um, I always sit down on this thing. That's the problem. I sit down on it, and then it pulls my hair. Okay, nobody else wanted to know that. So anyway, they, they can't go back, and his job won't start back, like, indefinitely. He, he doesn't know when he can go back to work and stuff. So, so they're just kind of riding it out. Um, they had to evacuate. Obviously, their neighbor didn't because they're taking pictures. But they had to evacuate and go away from their home, and so they became like aliens and sojourners into North Carolina, away from their house, away from their home, away from where they thought things were safe. And so they feel a little bit out of place. I know that they're staying with their parents, but if you've ever moved back in with your parents at any time in your life, it's not, it, you're, you feel out of place. You're very thankful that they let you stay there, but after a period of time, it gets kind of Okay, so, so, of course, that's not how it's going to be for my children. So with that in mind, uh, <laughs> turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It 
so I want to I want to begin reading in verse 19, and we're going through a series called Church Metaphors, and we're going to cover two today. And the first one's found in this passage of scripture, and and this is what it says in chapter two, verse 19. It says this: So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What he's addressing here is he's addressing people that um, were born into sin and they didn't have a savior and they needed a savior. And then God reached down and saved them and they became a part of his family. That, that's what he's addressing here. Um, we're not going to unpack that much today because that's not where we're going, but I want you to know that's who he, he's addressing. So there's a group of people who were aliens. They were sojourners. They were not a part of the family of God. So I will pause here to say this. Gentiles in the Old Testament really had to go through a process to become Jewish, to become a part of that faith. It was a huge process because God had chosen the Jewish people. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he opened up the door for anybody in the entire world to easily become a part of the family of God. Now, we, we can talk how it was always by faith and is always through Christ, but I want you to understand that Gentiles up until that point were looked down upon by the Jews. There was a separation between them and the Gentiles. They just didn't want any part of, part of them. So what he's saying here is you, because you received Jesus as your Savior, are now equal to the people that God chose in the Old Testament, you're all one family. So you're sojourners, you're, you're, you're aliens, but now Je because of Jesus, you're now a part of the family of God. You're now a part of that citizenship. You're now a part of, of the way it is. Now, I, I want to pause here just because there's, there's some stuff going on in, in the culture, and I, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, God is a God with borders and walls. You cannot be part of the family of God just because you're in the right location. You cannot be a part of the family of God just because you go to church, just because you come in the doors. There is a gap between you and Jesus, and that gap is your sin. The only way across is for you to be assimilated into heaven. And that assimilation happens when you realize that you're a sinner, you ask Jesus to be your Savior, and you cross you cross the bridge of Calvary into new life in Jesus Christ. That is the way you get in. Heaven has borders. There's gates. There are some people that can get in and some people that, that can't. It's not unloving to have, and I'm not talking politically, it's not unloving for God to set up a standard, a way for people to become citizens into his kingdom. It's a loving thing to do. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. I don't want to guess. Was in the right location? Did I, did I make it to enough church services? Did I, did it, was, was I with the right people? I don't want any of that. I want it to be clear and easy, and clear and easy is the cross of Christ. That's how you gain entrance into his kingdom. That's how it is. It's not unloving to assimilate people into heaven. It's a loving thing to do so people know exactly where they're going. Amen? That's just it. So we get to verse 20, and it says this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So something's being built. What's being built? 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So not only is it a foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Christ is a cornerstone of something. In whom the whole structure, so it's a building, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple into the Lord. So everybody that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior has been assimilated into this, what he's calling a temple. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. A temple that Jesus, actually God the Father himself, is building. And we are all part of the bricks, the mortar, and he's building us up into a holy temple unto the Lord. So, a couple of things. First, growth. According to this passage of Scripture, it is God who calls, causes the growth. It's not us. It's God. God wants his church to grow. He wants the holy temple to grow. He is the one sitting there putting the pieces together. He's the one building it. He's the one that has the vision of growth. He's the one that wants the whole world to be saved, but only those who believe will be saved. Okay? So he builds it, builds it. Nanos, which is in the middle, is a Greek word. So say netos to your, to your neighbor. Naos. Now, now go like this. Natos, nanos. That was a reference. Yep. Wasn't it? And the people that are old, it took a way back, right? Natos, natos, yeah. Natos. Natos is a word that means, that means enter or intimate. Okay? It is the word that you have there for holy temple. Enter, intimate, holy. It is a reference to the Old Testament tabernacle or the Old Testament temple where you had a courtyard and then you went in to, to a place where there's a table of showbread and there's some other stuff and then you went beyond a curtain at least once a year into the Holy of Holies, the Nanos, where God was, where you had an intimate encounter with him. If you remember anything about that, they went in once a year and, and they had to be cleaned and they had to be right and they had to be holy. If they were not holy, they would be killed in the inter-sanctuary. That's why they tied a rope around their, their ankle to pull them out just in case they died. So it's an intimate, holy, reverent place. It, it's, it's and he's building us into a temple that he can dwell in. Now this is phenomenal. This is a phenomenal concept. That God wants to dwell within us in this room. It's a phenomenal concept. I, sometimes I don't even want to dwell with myself. Are you with me? Sometimes I'm so irritated with something that I've done so stupid, I said the wrong thing, I made a mistake, I sinned. It's just, oh, good night, Philip. Can you not get this right? I, sometimes I don't even want to dwell with myself. Sometimes I wonder why people even want to be around, around me. And you have the same, why? I just need to be away from it. People don't need to be around me at this point, blah, 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 blah. I'm amazed. I am amazed that God has taken me and you and he is making a place for him to come to dwell inside of us. Now, at the point of salvation, I mean, if we're theologically correct, 
The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. However, the, the Father comes and lives, it seems. And so, so the temple is built and God is making himself a place ready with the power of the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, so that he can actually live with you and with me in communion in an intimate, amazing way. And it's surrounded by holiness. It's crazy. Surrounded by holiness. So, that said, um, let's turn in our Bibles. I think this is where we're going to Ephesians chapter 5, which is just right next door. Here's the second metaphor. First one's the temple. The second metaphor we're going to talk about is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22. <clears throat> So here we go. Actually, go to 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, there's some discussion Concerning here what this metaphor might be. It, it, it might be the bride, because we have a bride later in, in Revelation. It might be that bride. And so people talk about the church being a bride, and they, they make that, you know, metaphor similarity. Or it could be a wife. There's a whole group of people that talk about, you know, it's, it's a wife. And because the, the metaphor is the husband, you're supposed to treat your wife like Christ has treated the church and, and reverence and all that, that it, it's the wife that is, that is the metaphor. I, I'm here to tell you that either way you go, the truth is still the same. Truth is still the same. Jesus Christ looks at you and me through the lens of a very intimate relationship, the most intimate of, of all creation, and that is the lens of marriage. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night in our raw marriage Bible study class, so if you are in there, this is going to be repeated for you, but I just wanted to kind of put it into this message today. You, you have seven days of creation, and in the first day, he creates stuff. The second day, he creates stuff. The third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day, God creates stuff. And then at the very peak, like if you think of it as a film, and the, and the end of it is like the climax, it's what you're really going for, right? At the very end of the film, he creates man. And he creates man in his own image out of the dust of the earth. And then he starts looking for mates. Like, what, what um, could man commune with and, and keep him company? So it, they went through all the trees and all the grass and all the animals and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and God and Adam couldn't find anybody. So God took a rib out of Adam and he created Eve to be his companion. Ladies, you're the only, the only thing of animal creation that wasn't created out of dust. You're created out of man's side. It shows like a, an intimate number one relationship. The last thing that he created on earth was not woman. The last thing that he created on the sixth day before he said it was good was marriage. Marriage. 
Out of all the things, the galaxy he spun into space and, and all the animals and the man and the woman and all of that kind of stuff, the last thing, the most important thing that he created to him was the man and woman relationship that he calls marriage. It is the foundational relationship for all of society. It is, it is, where, it is where the family grows it is where kids learn. It is where kids grow up and then they become married to someone else and start their own family. It was the design from the very beginning and it was a perfect covenant between man and a woman and God, Adam and Eve. Ah, oh, wow. And so in this passage of scripture, he uses a very intimate, the most intimate relationship that you can have, man and woman, marriage, to describe Jesus and how he feels about his church. In other words, Jesus, oh, I'll get there in a second. Jesus is very affectionate toward you. Now, this is a picture of a wedding band, all right? And And I obviously don't have the piece of paper that I was going to read to you, and so we could all cry, right? So this is basically Amanda Seaford's wedding band. So what has happened is when they were first married, they did not have much money, so they purchased very cheap wedding bands. She was, he was able to scrape and scrape and get that engagement ring, but, but they were able to do that. So recently, and I think it's seven and a half years into this thing, he has purchased a wedding band that matches her engagement ring. And she is very excited about this. Now, I want you to raise your hand. If you know Thomas Seaford, you might not even know him. Has he ever scrimped and saved to get you something? Anybody in this room? Raise your hand. Anybody? You? Nathan? You? No, he hasn't. How about you, Mr. Melton? As he never has. You, you might not even know who he is. He's a tall guy, black hair. Yeah, they have a little baby. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, Ms. Walker, has he ever scrimped and saved? I mean, you know him, right? He's never bought you anything. You're just not that special, I guess, to him. Right? It, it makes you feel, does that make you, anybody in this room feel like they've been left out because he did not purchase a wedding band to match your diamond ring? If you're a guy, do not raise your head. Yeah, of course not. Because thank God that Thomas is not that intimate with me. And he's not that intimate with Nicole. He is that intimate, he has that close of a relationship with his wife. And it is the number one relationship that he has. The second relationship would be their adorable daughter. But the best relationship, the number one relationship is that man and that wife and that intimacy and that closeness that is supposed to be there. Jesus is saying, I love the church like a husband should love his wife and sacrifice himself for her. I have sacrificed for the church so that she can be the best that she can be. He is very, 
he desires to be very intimately acquainted with you. So, two words, affection. I am thankful this morning that Jesus Christ is affectionate toward me. Aren't you? I am also thankful this morning that Jesus has the capacity, because he's God, to show me the same amount of affection that he shows you. Jesus isn't walking around trying to weigh things. Oh, I, I did this for this kid. I'm going to have to do this for this one over here. I'm, I'm going to have to do this for my child. He doesn't have to do that. He is already treating us all equally in his affection and his love. So Jesus saying that a metaphor is either bride, bride or a wife, it doesn't matter which one, he is saying that he's affectionate toward you. Now, if I'm going to speak for, for Thomas that way he hasn't told me anything about their marriage or anything like that. I'm just making some assumptions because they've been married seven and a half years and I know how marriages go. Um, Amanda has not always done the right thing. In the marriage. Right? Thomas has not always done the right thing in the marriage. <laughs> you know them real well? Yeah. You have not always done the right thing in your marriage, and neither has your spouse. So, when it comes to Jesus... I'm the one that hasn't done, always done the right thing, right? He has always done the right thing. So you have a marriage relationship like Thomas and Amanda, and look, this is just all made up. I'm making up 100% of this, okay? So you just need to, it just happens that this is the illustration. Thomas and Amanda have an argument. At some point in that argument, because we're all married and we all know this happens, Amanda thinks she's right, and Thomas thinks he's right. Amanda thinks she has done nothing wrong, and Thomas thinks he has done nothing wrong. And through the course of events, Thomas realizes that he has done a lot wrong. And through the course of events, hopefully, Amanda also figures out that she has done a lot wrong. And because they've both done wrong, they get back together and they say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They apologize and they move forward in their relationship. Neither one can ever say, I'm perfect and I'm leaving you. Thomas cannot say to Amanda, I'm perfect and I'm leaving you. You, you have done this to me way too much. I'm going to leave you. Amanda cannot say to Thomas, I'm perfect and I'm leaving you. You've done way too much and I'm just out of here. I'm out of here, gone. Right? Can't do that. When it comes to your relationship and my relationship to Jesus, who is represented as the husband, I've done a ton wrong and I've given God and you've given God a lot of reasons for him to be out of here but he's still affectionate towards you. He still loves you anyway. He still wants you to be intimate in the most intimate way in the Holy of Holies and be part of his building 
He still wants you to be a part of his life. Though he is perfect, though he should push you out. That is a beautiful picture. His affection toward you is amazing. The other thing about Jesus, according to this passage, is that he's committed. He's committed to you. He is committed to making you all that you should be. This passage of scripture, it says this. So that he, verse 27, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus is not only affectionate towards you, but he's committed to making you the best version of you that you can be. He's committed to helping you get rid of sin, push it out of your life, and be the best version of you that you can be. He is committed to taking your unholiness and making you holy, your unrighteousness and making you righteous. He is committed to that process in your life. He is committed, and he's not going to give up. Here's another reason Jesus should give up on you and me. He knows what I'm going to do wrong tomorrow. Sometimes, two people that are married are like, man, I just don't trust them anymore. I just don't know what they're going to do tomorrow. I mean, are they going to remain faithful? Are they not going to remain faithful? Are they going to lie to me again? Are they going to spend that money that they shouldn't have spent? Are we going to have this argument again? And they have that whole conversation. Look, Jesus is looking at you and me and saying, they're going to do something wrong in the next couple of days, and I'm out of here. I know exactly what they're going to do, and I'm out of here. Jesus never says that, even though he knows what you are going to do wrong next. Because he's committed to something greater. He's committed to taking you and making you more holy, making you righteous. God the Father himself is committed into forming you into the image of his very own son, which means the image of God himself. That's an amazing thing. That is an absolutely amazing amazing thing. So, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Just one page over. Therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I urge you, because Jesus is committed to you, that you become committed to him to do all that you can do to live the way that you are supposed to according to his word. It is an investment that will have a better return than anything else you can do in this life. Jesus is always going to be committed to you. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to go against you. To make this commitment to walk worthy of the calling in which you are called and live like Jesus wants you to do, you will never, ever lose. You'll never lose. He will never say, I'm out of here. You live like you're supposed to. He, he's... It's just an investment worth doing. Look at verse 17. It says this. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greediness, to, uh, to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, to put off the old self, all that stuff that you're not supposed to be doing, Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't know right now what they need to put off in their life to live more righteously with God. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't know that. It's just, are you committed enough to do it? Are you committed enough to make those steps Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The, the list is, is absolutely amazing. And if we focus on that, it will take all our energy to try to live like God wants us to live. But here's the other side of it. Jesus is committed to you to help you do that. You have his power. You can do it. What are you committed to? And that's your answer. <laughs> Whatever that is. Okay, great. So, next screen. I want to show you something. This is a picture. Now, let me... Of course it's a picture. Because you're intelligent and you would know that. So this is a picture. So what happened is last night, um, my son, we, we didn't let him sleep in his room. He, he slept somewhere else in the house because there's this tree that we're not really sure which way it's going to fall. And we didn't know really how bad the wind was going to be. You know, you just, you just didn't know. So what he did was he, he took everything of value in that room and, and he placed it in other parts of the house. Okay? So this is, this is on my kitchen table. Now, now, to kind of help him out here, he did save his marimba, right, and his drum, and some other stuff that's in another part of the house, but this is in the kitchen. So you have the Ghostbusters, which is a Lego Ghostbuster thing, which is a collector's item, and he, he, loves, he loves this. He put it together. Of course he did. And then, and then the next one is um, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. Now, that's the first one of the first Lego ships that he had, and he would play with it when he was little. So what I did was I superglued it together. So that's a very special thing to him. Um, he has his phone, which is down here in the bottom. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's a phone down here in the bottom. And then right over here, see this little blue thing? Right to the right of that, that is his gift cards. Like to Starbucks, you know, that he's gotten for Christmas. That, that, is, that is his finances, right? 
And then if you go straight up, there's a hermit crab that he recently got on our last beach trip. And so he, he has saved the hermit crab. He is committed to trying to save and protect those items. Right? If the tree came in and hit his room, those items would be better protected than even the other stuff that he has to the house. His room is here. If the tree, that tree was to fall, it's pretty big. It would fall right into his room, and then there would be rain, which would go into the, <laughs> the office, which is really where you throw stuff, right, that you don't know where to put in the house. So the rest of the house looks nice. Everybody has that room. You know what I'm saying, right? So, so it would blow right in there, probably take out some stuff like that and ruin that part of the house. But at least... The Lego Ghostbuster thing would be safe. He's committed to that. I bring this up because you and I become committed to a lot of things that just aren't things that we should be committed to. There are Christians that are committed to some relationships in their life that they really need to get out of their life because they're not leading them toward the Lord. And they need to leave those people, still be friends with them, but quit hanging out with them. And they need to make a shift from hanging out with these people that caused them to go and live the life that they had before Christ. And they need to make a shift and start hanging out with people that love Jesus and push them toward God. There's some people in this room that are all the time trying, and I'm just, I, I don't mean people. I, they're Christians. They're Christians that all they do is they try to earn money, earn money, earn money, earn money, earn money to get, to get, to get, and it takes them out of church. It takes them away from the Lord, and that's really what they focus on. Look, earning in this life is a good thing. I think God teaches us that we should, you know, work for a living. I totally, but if that becomes your God, if that becomes your God, it takes you away from the Lord. Things are not as important as your character. Your money that you have in the bank is not as important as your character. The car that you drive is not as important as your your character. What your buddies think of you, you're a good time, you have a good time. What they think of you is not as important as your character. It is time to be committed to developing the character that Jesus Christ wants you to have. Do not allow Jesus to have to do it all by himself. You need to make a choice and go in the same direction he wants you to go in. Be the holy temple that you're supposed to be. Be the bride or spouse of God that Jesus wants you to be, that he is pushing you toward. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we...